each other. He's a friend from work. <laughs> you had me at hello. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. Okay, this is how I went. All right? You have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. This is the way. This is the way. Welcome back to Final Take, a conversation podcast about movies and the meticulous, intense director that is David Fincher. I am Ethan Zimmy. I am Austin Davis. I'm pretty sure I'm going to start calling him the Finch Man, because this is what I did with John Favreau. I call him the Fav Man. I call him the Finch Man. <laughs> You're just basically shorting the name and adding man at the end of that's it. All, that's all. What, that's if all <laughs> what if they later go by a different pronoun? Now, ah, that's a good point. The Finch person. Finchmeister. Better just stick with Fen- David Fincher. Uh, on today's Director of the Month episode, we are looking at all things David Fincher. And to help us do that, we have a very special guest that is returning, Mr. Matt Scott. Welcome to the show, Matt. Woo! Woo! Yeah, you know, like that background noise that goes, woo! Yeah, that's happening right now. Please give me just an uproarious applause in uh, post production, all right, Ethan? Yeah, I'm going to find a sound clip from like a 30,000 person stadium, just like roaring, and, and that'll be your intro. I actually have a great example from a movie I just watched recently that is not David Fincher, um, Ridley Scott's Gladiator. There are lots of scenes with procedurally generated crowd noise, so that would be a great place to start. I also, to identify as Maximus, so... <laughs> You asked for it. I'll put it in. You got it, guy. See, he finds like some other random one at the end of it. It's like, go Patriots. And you're like, oh, dang it. Shoot. <laughs> uh, well, so, so Matt, you haven't been on the show since episode 32. I believe we are now at episode 59. So it's it's been a minute. It's wow. been a little bit. It's almost um, been half. And we're glad to have you back. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very glad to have you back. I, I am also glad to have you back. <laughs> Don't make it seem like it's just you happy. I felt like I could speak for both of us. <laughs> well, I'm so the, glad to be back. Thank you. The episode that you were on, Matt, was our ultimate summer blockbuster movie draft, which I this is neither here nor there. You didn't. I'm a winner. I feel like I no, Matt Scott is clearly the winner. Not take that away from him. How dare Listen, you? <laughs> Harry Potter, Deadpool, Hallows 2 will forever and always be an underdog pick when it comes to movie blockbusters. I will live and die. Now, did the audience agree with your with your draft? I would say not. So do not take that win from him. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. Matt, congratulations. I, I, I do not respectfully concede to you. Uh, so I can second. What, so so since you haven't been on the show for a while, uh, you mentioned you, you recently watched Gladiator. Do you have another movie that you recently watched that you enjoyed? I'm just, just curious, uh, what's something you've watched recently that, that's been a good one? A, a certified banger, if you will. Totally, yeah. I, I would say run, long runtime, which we're talking about David Fincher, so that's definitely something we'll talk about later. But I recently watched um, Just Mercy. Uh, oh, I don't nice. know if either of you have seen that. Um, nope. So, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking his name right off the bat? This isn't a good sign. Uh, Fruitvale Station and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Fox, um, and it's about uh, Michael B. Jordan's a uh, defense lawyer helping get um, inmates oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the row in in Alabama. Like he basically mm. moves down um, to the south. So it was incredibly moving. Like I said, it's long, but it feels longer when you're addressing these really heavy, like, tough topics. 
Um, but I thought it was a really great movie to start with. I actually found it on a list of um, great Black History Month movies, and it's relatively mm. new, and so I figured it was um, a really positive one to pick. So yeah, I, I absolutely enjoyed the hell out of it. it great, very powerfully acted. Dang, that's that's really good to hear. That is yeah. one that we missed last week on our Black History Month yeah. uh, episode. So yeah, that's a good pick. Mm. Um, okay, real quick before we get talking about the Finchmeister, that's what we're going with here. <laughs> I mean, I mean, listen. We all have been we all have been texting for about a week now, like planning this show. And I had texted Austin and Matt, both of you, and said basically like, "Hey, I'm gonna watch a bunch of Fincher, Fincher movies this week. I'm going to text you about them. You may reply, you may not. I don't care, but I have to get them off my chest like throughout the week because I can't just watch like 10 hours of Fincher and then like unload on the podcast. So like three movies. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like two and a half films. So. Uh, and I self-entitled us the Fincher Boys with a Z, of course. Uh, and I just, I, I feel like that's appropriate. Fincher Boys, are we all good on this? Yes, I'm aligned. Yeah, I mean, Matt's aligned. Yeah. Let's go. Okay, so before we get talking about about David Fincher, Matt, you're here, so you get to say in this more specifically. I want to Austin's take on Spider-Man Three. We got an official Spider-Man Three title, mm-hmm. and it's the real one: Spider-Man No Way Home. How do we feel about the title and how hyped are we on a scale of like baby spider to like mama black widow? Are we good? That, that, that's like, you know, like a one to 10. I mean, are we good? Are you, do you like this? Title? Uh, I mean, it, I just, I hear it and I just think that, you know, he's going to die. <laughs> that's dark real quick. <laughs> I mean, no way home or like, or he gets lost. Yeah. Like there's just a maze. You know, Austin, you bring up a really great you, you bring up a really great point. Like movies where we know what's going to happen before we see them. So like Titanic, right? They spend two hours of that movie building it up and we all know what happens in history. Yeah. Um, another great example of that, and I'm totally derailing here, but I love to do this. Um, Sophia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides. Like the uh-huh. title says right there that they're going to die virgin. Yeah. And the movie is so like sugar gum and really hazy it's got this great soundtrack and all of this but then mm-hmm. at the end they all kill themselves spoiler alerts i'm sorry that movie's like 20 years old so it's also in the title <laughs> but it's also in the title yeah so if you really think they're gonna kill spider-man i i default to your expertise i mean i i don't know i'm just saying like based off the title it just seems like either they're gonna get lost or mm-hmm. like i don't know i mean though i mean all the theories of the multiverse and him like maybe he gets trapped in a multiverse and how That's, does he that get was home? my first thought yeah but no way home like he can't get back to like home like earth mm. 616 home well i mean like i mean looking at the photos right uh, that they've released oh um, yeah the, like yeah. three or four that have that have been teased there's the teaser that that he's possibly in dr strange's like sanctum sanctorum yeah in new york but it looks destroyed and decrepit Maybe that means that he's in a, a different dimension <gasps> and that he that is a destroyed version of. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, you got he, me really off on a bad start here. Well, I didn't want you to say that Spider-Man's going to die. Why would you do this? Well, you know, just go extreme. <laughs> you just go extreme. <laughs> well, so I mean, they have to get rid of like they have to make it seem like Peter Parker is not that Spider-Man. Not Spider-Man. So I mean. Maybe maybe it's no way home like no way home in a good way mm-hmm. like with the multiverse like no way home being like he doesn't necessarily want to go back home because everybody knows who he is so he has to yeah but he's a he's in a, a New York boy he's a Brooklyn boy he is Stone Cold Brook Brooklyn 
Anyway, Matt, any feelings? I'm not the one. I'm not the one to go to about Marvel questions. I'll just be straightforward. <laughs> um, I'll I'll probably catch it on VOD or on streaming somewhere in a year after it releases. He'll know all the spoilers by I, then. Yeah, I respect that. Good luck staying away from spoilers. Uh, okay. You already told me Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in it, so that that's a plus for me. Yeah, that's a W. I mean, I have I don't know. I'm just saying. We, that's what we think. Yeah, that's the location that people are theorizing that they're going to go to. Mm. Hey, Austin thinks this is a Game of Thrones situation here where they're filming like a bunch of random shit and then it's not going to end up in the movie at all. Yep. Like they're calling in a bunch of actors and like it's not going to be those people in the movie. Which I could see. I could see that happening. But. You know, bait and switch. <laughs> the old the old bait and switch. Hey, it works. It's a billion it's dollar movie franchise. It's effective. <laughs> <laughs> when okay. is coming out? Let's talk David Fincher. You know, he just, when oh. is it coming out? Yeah, when when did, what's the release date? Christmas. Yeah, December 17th, 2021. Sorry, I'll be watching Dune for the 40th time. <laughs> That's an appropriate answer. Hopefully uh, the the right Dune. Yeah. <laughs> you're watching like yeah. Older Hopefully you're watching the new Dune. <laughs> you're like this old this one's great. This is fantastic. Like yeah, stream number 41. You're just like, "Oh, I love it so much." Okay, let's talk David Fincher. That's what we're here to do. Uh, some news actually just came out yesterday. Is yep. that yesterday? Mm-hmm. Okay. Michael Fassbender is in talks to star in Fincher's next film, mm-hmm. which will be a Netflix original titled The Killer. Uh, the Killer centers on a cold-blooded assassin who begins to develop a conscience, causing him to emotionally crack. This story is based on a graphic novel by Alexis Nolet. That makes sense that he's adapting a graphic novel as per usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I know Austin, you said I, I made a com- I made a comment in our little text messaging, <laughs> um, and when you texted this and yeah. I, I just responded, so this is Assassin's Creed two, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and Matt like left the conversation. Matt's like, you gold gold star. <laughs> I, I mean, am I wrong? Like he. He played an assassin in Assassin's Creed, so like. Just continuing on. I mean, is he getting typecast? I mean, what? What? <laughs> what? Matt, Matt, what do you think about this? Because I, I, I'm hyped because like it just means another Fincher movie. Like I'm cool with that. I guess I, I don't have feelings one way or the other. He does such a great job of capturing crime and like the inner workings of not just the criminal side, but the the police side um, and, and really with such a unique take on like things like murder. I mean, wink, wink, seven, wink, wink. Um, I think he's great. Hard wink. Hard (laughs) wink. Yeah. No, I, I I think he's great for this. Um, And I love Michael Fassbender or as Ethan is probably going to call him fast man. Fast Um, man. (laughs) The fast meister. meister. (laughs) I think it's great. I mean, I think, I think it sounds pretty cool. Uh, I mean, if you want to depict like the one sentence that we got, uh, they could have just called him an assassin, Austin, but they called him a cold-blooded assassin. I mean, I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a notch up. Have you ever assassin Creed? Uh, <laughs> long time ago, I have. Um, Fincher signed a four-year deal with Netflix in November 2020, which I didn't know this until I started. I mean, look at what he's done with them. I mean, you look at Mindhunter, you look at um, Mang. House of Cards. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of TV shows. Um, 
exclusively all Netflix. Uh, I mean, there's one more I'm blanking on the title of it, Matt. You probably know. Um, and then you look at Mank being the next one. Like he, I think all of his movies from now on are going to be going to Netflix. That's yeah, my exactly. that's my wild guess. This, yeah, and this is a topic I kind of wanted to explore. Uh, like, how do we? How do you feel about David Fincher being one of the first like major directors to an exclusive streaming platform and like there's such like high echelon like directors you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he makes really really good shit and it's all going exclusively to netflix which is like anti-scorsese about like the whole situation so like yeah is this is, like is this a good thing for for fincher is it a good thing for movies in general or do we view it as like a step down oh matt you go first um great question ethan um God, I thank you i've needed i need that reassurance <laughs> that was a really terrible question ethan <laughs> i don't think it's a step down because i want to see those movies really badly and right now in a world where it's not safe to go to a movie theater or at least not deemed safe for us here in oregon to go to a movie theater i don't want dune to sit on the shelf another shout out to dune i'm literally so excited and trying not to think about it um if fincher does uh, Christopher Nolan's not dead, but he would roll over in his grave at the idea of somebody signing a Netflix deal, ex- an exclusive like streaming service deal for their movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But you're right, Austin, you called out a couple of really good points about things that he's done in the past um, that were really good. I mean, Mindhunter was tremendous. Like mm-hmm. I could not get enough of that show. Um, so no, I, I think the movie landscape has changed uh, completely. I mean, there was an article in the New York Times a couple months ago that was like, will we ever go to the movies again? And the major point being, we don't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, do those of us who really enjoy films want to go to the movies? Of course. Like, I want to eat sticky popcorn and sit in the back seat and hear other people eating sticky popcorn and the, hear, feel the seats, like, creak a little bit. Like, I, I want that all. And just a gigantic, loud thing shouting at me for two hours. Um, someone so walking in front of you guys, they go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's part of the film. <laughs> oh, let me scoop in and have like this two-inch space for you to walk. Okay, go. Okay, let me lift my knee real quick. Hey, Sorry. this would be glad-handing, but we address this in Fight Club. Brad Pitt says, "Now the question is, I pass. Do I give you the ass or the crotch?" <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't view it as a, as a step down at all. I do think it's interesting that we're seeing like such a i guess such a split in hollywood of like new hollywood maybe like new quote-unquote hollywood Mm -hmm. slash old hollywood of like cinema is cinema like it's designed to be viewed in a theater Mm -hmm. and then you have someone like fincher who can make best you know award-winning movies for best director best screenplay best drama Mm -hmm. and then sign a streaming only deal i think that speaks volumes um and like i said like scorsese even came out like I don't know, like a, less than a week ago and was like, Hey, you know, algorithms at streaming services like Netflix are the scourge of the earth mm. and they are messing people up in terms of what movies they're watching. Like, yeah. cause they're not watching yeah. enough very movies. They're just falling in one path. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think like I, I semi agree with Scorsese, but I also look at it from a money standpoint, either yeah. paying him a buttload of money. It, like to me, like as a film, like a director, it shouldn't all be about money. But I would also like the money. Um, I feel like being in theaters, 
you get the ability to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I look at what Netflix has done for him. And in terms of like, I think like why he signed such a deal is because they allowed him to make Mink. Yeah, I, I totally agree with because that. Because Mink is a passion project of his oh, yeah. based off of the history of the, the screenplay. And so for them, for him for basically netflix being like yeah you can make this um to him he's like cool then i'll i'll sign this deal with you right and i think it proves as well that netflix is a is a i guess a nice supportive mm-hmm. device yeah for things we're like oh well like cool one for me four for you like situation we're like oh cool like Fincher gets make mm-hmm. and he gets to produce a bunch of other really good shit mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the passion project for him yeah um but I do think it's a little, you know, a little hypocritical of Scorsese. I mean, The Irishman, it's a Netflix original. Talk talk about long run times. <laughs> I, I just thought that movie in two. Yeah, it was a brutal, watched that in one sitting. Um, brutal watch. Anyway, I, I just was, I was just curious how we feel on, on you know, sure exclusive streaming products. Uh, I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah. Accessibility. Uh, okay. So I'm going to start this conversation off. We have we have s- kind of several different things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to start the conversation off by strictly listing Fincher movies. And if Matt or Austin, if you have something you want to interject after I read the title of a film, like if it just triggers you, be my guest. Okay. Interrupt me. Go right ahead. So starting with Alien 3 in, in 1992, 7 in 1995, in 97, Fight Club in 99, uh, Panic Room in 02, Zodiac in 07, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button in 08, Social Network in 2010, I think we know how I feel about Social Network on this show, <laughs> Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2011, Gone Girl in 2014, and then Mank in 2020. I think Gone between Gone Girl and Mank, I think that's, that's six years, it's his longest hiatus, yeah. correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the... No- oh, yeah, yeah. Do we know how to do math on this show, or do we... Yeah, that's yeah. accurate. Yep. Longest hiatus. Um, okay. There's a, I, there's a reason for that, though. Yeah, it's okay. called Mindhunter. Yeah, exactly. Mindhunter. <laughs> it's and, called uh, Mindhunter. And House it, of Cards. Exactly, yeah. And what was that other... You said you did another TV I, yeah, show. Yeah, you did another one, and I can't think oh, of it right man. now. Austin, you're up in the ball. Hold show. on. I, got IMD, you, I have his IMDb. Uh, Love, Death, and Robots. That's what it was. Wow. Yeah. I do not hate that, which is a totally. I mean, I think. Did he produce it? Because it's a bunch of short films all pinched together. He might have done one of the short films. Okay. I, it doesn't say here. It just says selected television work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Selected television work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So so that makes sense. So he wasn't like off the radar for six yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, if you look at House of Cards began in uh, 2013 to 2018, and then you have Mindhunter. 2017 through 2019 and then love death and robots 2019 so he's been staying busy yeah and then make a little passion project yep. yeah okay well we're definitely going to talk about our favorite fincher film i don't think that's mm. the way to start this no how did let's go director of the month style and start by talking about his, his directing style kind of what he's known for okay so i i, I stole this from uh, imdb directing technique or trademarks so one of the big things that he's kind of known for as a director is innovative title sequences. So 
a first thing that comes to mind is uh, uh, the girl with the dragon yeah. tattoo. Um, I, text, I texted you guys about this. Uh, mm. As soon as I put on the girl with the dragon tattoo, I was like 30 seconds in. Mm. And I remember texting you and I was just like, this intro is fucking lit. Like, holy hell. Well, <laughs> like the way that was done, but also the music. Like, you have Trent Reznor with uh, Karen O from uh, so Nine Inch Nails guy mm-hmm. and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah singer, like, um, doing a cover of it's cashmere yeah exactly like such a like, i was like this is freaking awesome like this is a great intro mm-hmm. um but then you look at other different things like fight club and uh, the game and all of the the work that went into the title sequence itself kind of just like it's intricate intricate so so it's venture trademark yep um most of the characters uh social outcasts so when we look at a finished film uh, a lot of them are people that are not a part of the um they're just they're, they're outcast characters the, the broad society mm-hmm. broad, broad fabric of society i think the only person i can really look at is uh michael douglas's character in the game maybe the game. not as much because he was kind of like a high-end rich guy um but i mean i mean even I, I look at an example is Fight Club. Um, I think that Edward Norton's that, character. I love that's your first example. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> going to be my first example for everything. Um, but you look at Edward Norton's character, uh, the narrator, uh, He he's an outcast. Like he, right. like, he follows a trend of things, but no one, I mean, he becomes best friends with Brad Pitt's character. Yeah, what happened to all of his other friends? Like, they never explain that, so... Mm-hmm. Um, another like trademark is it's in dark or, or a lot of his things are in dark urban settings. Yeah. Like if you look, if you think about it, the only one that I I personally can think of that was not really that way was uh mostly um Gone Girl just because of, of like the small town vibe of things. Um, yeah, like the suburban vibe. Yeah, but there were a good chunk of scenes that were in an urban setting um yeah like he's got like his uh his dad's house i like what like what like this... no I'm, th- I'm thinking that like when they're doing playback and oh when yeah they yeah were okay. in, in uh new york city oh okay yeah so absolutely agree um then uh yeah, another really quick sorry yeah. sorry to interrupt um the words of technology and not doing the sitting next to each other um i love that the cities aren't named we we expect like especially in mm-hmm. seven the assumption is that it's New York city. And I think there's one line where they, a character mentions about something upstate, which is a phrase that we just associate with New York city and then not living in the city. But then when we get to the end of the movie and they're driving out of the city, they're instantly Mm -hmm. in California. Like you can just tell it's California. It's not New York. So yeah, Yeah, you don't have desert in New York. Ambiguity is really important. Like this could happen anywhere is what they're trying Mm -hmm. to say. Like coming to a metropolis near you, kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. So true. I I actually didn't even think about that. The whole like in seven, like them in the desert in like two seconds. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, another trademark of his is dimly lit rooms. So. No shit. I mean, that is it ever? <laughs> what's that? Matt? I said no shit. Yeah. <laughs> the lighting. I mean, he, what I find really interesting is so much lighting is, is attempting to be like, like uh, 
perfected in movies and they're trying to make it feel like a sunny day outside or like a rainy day outside. And he does the exact opposite. He like focuses on underlit scenes. Like there are scenes in Zodiac where you can't see the character's eyes for minutes on end because they're driving in a car at night, but it feels so much more realistic to being in a dark space with them than instead Mm. of, you know, every time a car drives by the lights flash up. I, I know it's an aesthetic touch and probably not wholly realistic, but it just makes everything feel you're like constantly looking in the shadows in his films. Like yeah. you want to find that extra little piece of detail. Mm. Yeah. I totally got that vibe when I watched Zodiac. So I watched that for the first time this past week. Yeah. And um, yeah, like the angle that my TV's at in my living room is like the lighting is, is not superb. But like I don't turn off all the lights in the living room. You get like, really harsh shadows and mm. so like i have to squint to look at the tv mm. but all the lights were off in my room in my living room and i was watching zodiac and like when we would get two detectives like driving in a car i was like like who are these guys and like can i can i see them can i make this out but then it just like further envelops you in a situation and you're like oh okay like this is this is the style of of night that they were you know doing their investigating or mm. it really like puts you in that situation yeah very unique venture yeah um another trademark of his is uh green blue and yellow tints so mm. if you gone now, girl yeah yeah you very, look at all blue. of his movies i mean like i can imagine so many different scenes that uh, that's blue. the case that's a bang so um like the game he's walking up like a flight of stairs um with like a blue light or like a, a black light on that's mm-hmm. like makes the whole room look blue um and you said blue red and yellow Green, blue, and yellow. Oh, green, blue, and yellow. Yep. Okay. There's a lot of green in like uh, Fight Club, so I'm just gonna put that one out there. Oh, Fight I mean, Club is green in and, and yellow and blue. There's a lot of them. I yep. Didn't yep. Know that. Um, <laughs> uh, another trademark of his is distorted point of views. Um, so a lot of like these weird camera angles and stuff like that. Um, but speaking of angles, he also does compartment angles. So that is like an example of that is they open like the fridge door, cameras inside the fridge um so good or like in the furnace like yeah like, oh yeah. yeah finding the journal in the furnace yeah so Jeez. you see a lot of those trademark things um also you see impossible shots so this could be like cameras going over tables and through chairs or um like the camera going extreme close-up of a like um was it a oven um or the camera's going through walls or windows so like the social network when they're going at scene like they're going from outside inside can't um, fucking wait to talk about social network. i know i, I brought that up just for you really, i know, really I know. Over here. <laughs> um also he has a lot of time lapse sequences so yes. yeah so you just see like the city around just going through a lot of stuff um then we got some anim before uh anim before uh, i cannot say this word anamorphic yep lens flares he <laughs> You know, oh yeah. Yeah, it does some some lens flares, guys. I I feel like I saw a lot of that in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yep. I mean, um, especially at, like a critical point in the movie. I I mean, I, mm. I don't know how we're feeling on spoilers. We haven't gotten here yet, but like critical point in the movie, very nice lens flare that I saw. Um, and and leading to that, you get a lot of them, and it feels so natural. Mm. It feels like you're you're very much present. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, Pearson flashlights. So a lot of flashlights to the the camera type scenes blind you um a lot of faces of evil so a lot of those like evil face like shots so like seven 
Bond Girl and stuff like that. Um, And lastly, shocking reveals. Like, shit your pants reveals. Yeah. So um, those are some of his big ones. I mean, I can think of other ones, though. Like, all of his stuff is based off of some type of, like... Of like writing or book, novel. book or real life um i like doesn't it's not made up stuff it's like based off of something for the most part um for the most part yeah i mean unless alien 3 is a biography yeah but that was oh his, it is okay yeah that was his first one you know so <laughs> it's that movie, yeah. the train wreck that is that movie is not his fault yeah Hundred percent. Yeah, I did some reading on alien 3 and and mm. um so alien 3 is one of the ones i haven't seen so i, I can't I don't want to yeah. sit here and, and, you know, like, go ham on it. But I did some reading, and it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lot of studio intervention caused it to go downhill real south. The only one south. the only one I'm unsure about is, or two, is The Game and Panic Room, if that if those are based off something. It's a question for the higher-ups. Because I don't know off the top of my head. But, I mean, I can just, you know, click on the... I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Finch Person said uh, that... <laughs> Panic Room wasn't supposed to have a lot of the depth that the other films he worked on did. Mm-hmm. That it was supposed to be a little bit more just kind of like an adrenaline rushed romp. Um, yeah. With old Miss Foster. So I'd have to see it again, or I'd have to see it to have a real opinion about it. But I would be mm-hmm. surprised if that was based off of a story or a, a novel of any kind. I'm, yeah. I'm nearly positive that Panic Room is his shortest film to date correct it's like 87 minutes or like 89 or something uh matt i think that's the one movie you have not seen correct okay i saw panic room and i saw the game maybe 10 years ago like when i was in high school mm. i think i talked about the game a little bit yeah. uh, a, a couple weeks ago on the show um and i didn't get the chance to re-watch them this past week because i needed to watch some new ones mm. so i'm not super fresh on them but i i remember reading about panic room that it's like it, he designed that to be like a yeah very short, suspenseful, intense endeavor. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice short one. Yeah. Uh, Matt, do you resonate like highly with any of those particular directing styles, or like which one is your favorite of Finch's? So, the lighting is is one that I found. That was one of the first things that I jotted down in my notes when I started, you know, diving back into some of his movies. Um, but the one, and it actually wasn't mentioned there, although kind of, um, you mentioned Trent uh, Reznor and Atticus Ross or Rose Atticus Ross. Yeah. Who, don't know why I know this, but recently did the title screen for Ken Burns Vietnam documentary, uh, which came out a couple years ago. They've been working really hard on movie scoring. Um, mm. And I love that. Uh, but it's, and music too, but really it's sound. Um, I think the level of tension and, oh my gosh, I mean, one of the reasons why the game doesn't hold up in my personal opinion to additional rewatches compared to seven is that in the game, the entire movie culminates at the very end and that's it. Um, we get this really great coda at the end of seven, which it twists and turns there. Whereas the game is just this long upward like stress bubble that bursts when he finally throws himself off the building in seven, you have no clue. I mean, Kevin Spacey doesn't show up until halfway through the movie. So we don't have a villain until we've watched an hour and 10 minutes really um, of the Mm -hmm. film. And so the tension that um, Fincher's is choosing to use with the sound effects, it feels 
heavy sometimes, but then I have to remember these movies are 25 years old. Like they're just starting to experiment with the light at the end of the flashlight guiding your eye coming from a flashlight mm-hmm. guiding your eye through a crime scene. And mm-hmm. as you did mention, flaring across the, the actual lens and, and hitting you. But what sound actually um, <laughs> exists in the space and how you communicate that to the viewer. This is, uh, this is really funny, and, and I'm sorry for bringing this up, but I just recently watched Shrek, the first Shrek again. Uh-huh. And what's so interesting about this to me is that those spaces that the characters occupy are completely fabricated. So whereas if I'm recording sound in a crime scene in the movie Seven and somebody's clomping around, there's going to invariably be some sound pickup that communicates that someone is walking. Mm. With Shrek, they had to create the sounds for each step um, and each movement, and they weren't good at it. So a lot of stuff that you would see nowadays as having sound does not. Um, Mm. Shrek opening a gate or stepping in mud where it should squish, you don't hear it uh, because they had to create it. So I think a lot of, in in similar thread, albeit a Shrek slash David Fincher crossover would be fucking rad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just actually creating the sound in the space is, is it's awesome. It's amazing how well those movies have aged uh, mm-hmm. when so many others that I rewatch have not. I'm just sitting here in awe of the fact that you just compared Shrek to seven. And I think that's one of the best movie comparisons I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> For the so, record, that has nothing to do with plot or <laughs> um, <laughs> theme or anything. <laughs> Two other things I forgot, or I, that thing that I've noticed, yeah. is uh, camera. It, the way he works a camera is very methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the person looks down, the camera kind of goes down. When the person's walking, the camera's walking with them, or panning, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like when it, they, the person stops walking, then uh, the camera stops. Then when they continue to walk, then it follows them again. So he's very, very particular about his camera work which also leads me to probably something that i think that you will want to talk about ethan is his perfection he is a perfectionist like no other guys next level yeah so maybe i know that you probably want to talk a little bit more about this explain his perfectionist to us yeah so i mean the fact that you do a little bit of digging on him and you kind of come up with these um, styles that he is. I think the one that's most prevalent in any interview or any um, article about him or Wikipedia or whatever the case is, is the fact that he like demands the highest level of acting from his crew mm-hmm. and to that perfectionist uh, in him, he demands like an inordinate amount of, of takes. Yeah. So like a little, you know, a little tiny take for you here is Gone Girl averaged 50 takes per scene, 55, zero per scene. And then a scene with Rooney Mara in the social network took 99 takes. Mm-hmm. That's one shy of triple digits. Yep. One scene. And, and, and I believe I remember hearing about this on, I think it was the big picture. It was another movie podcast where Nick and I talked about this and how, Fincher, especially in the social network, wanted people to talk talk quickly 
essentially mm-hmm. like very quickly to keep speed of the movie of like the, the tension in this conversation moving along. And he would time people and say, okay, this, this scene, this script, this should take two minutes and 45 seconds. They'd time it and it'd be like three ten or whatever. And he'd say, cool, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Do it again. Do it. And literally like just keep going mm-hmm. until he hit the, like till you hit the timer. And that's, that's the level of perfectionism that, that we, I think is translated into his movies. So I think I read something that said that he, on a minimum, will do 15 takes. God. Um, the reason behind it, from what I understand, is because he wants so much authenticity and the people to be raw with it. So the only way to do that is by doing so many takes. So he's yeah. like pushing them, basically like exhausting them from their fakeness. Sure. Like they're, they're quote, quote, like, he kind of just like wears it down so then he they're more authentic with who they are and how they like how they're presenting that's such a good that's so grueling but it's such a good process i feel like Mm -hmm. well i mean obviously i like as an actor i mean i would feel like you'd be frustrated you just sit there and just be like this motherfucker (laughs) this guy god i'd be pissed yeah but he pulls out the work and i mean if the end results show it's good. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm trying to think back to some of, so like some of his movies, he, he works with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got some repeat offenders that he works with. Mostly Brad Pitt. Pretty much. Brad Pitt. <laughs> but I'm just trying to think of like, you know, in like Gone Rooney Girl. Mara. Yeah. Rooney Mara's in a few, in like, like a couple. Yeah. Like in Gone Girl with Ben Affleck. Like, I feel like if you were on the set, maybe not if, if you're not, you know, maybe you're not David Fincher, but if you're on the set, you're watching Ben Affleck and David Fincher like go about a scene for this very dark movie in which Ben Affleck like mm-hmm. definitely has an anger problem. Then, and you get to like take like 56, and Fincher's like, okay, and like we got to run it one more time. I don't want to be there. Like I don't want to watch that because I'm afraid with all of those circumstantial things combined, that's ripe for an explosion. I don't know. I feel like I Matt chime in whenever too. Um. <laughs> I feel like you when you sign up for working with David Fincher, <laughs> sure, you know what you're you're expecting. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you're walking in to multiple takes. You're walking into a perfectionist beha- like mindset. Now, are maybe they may not be used to it, but you sign up for it. You know that it's going to take a lot longer than you normally would in any other thing, which makes you want to especially like those other perfectionist actors that would be like, I want to do this at, like the best mm-hmm. I can take one, even yeah. though he's going to do at least 15. Right. Yeah. To that point, Matt, would you be, if you were to direct, would you, would you file more of a, of a Fincher style and would you go like as many takes as you can get or as it takes, or are you, would you be more, you know, like, Hey, two takes, that's enough. I think we got it. Kind of a guy. So, and I know you're not a director. So I, you know. I am not. I'm not even an aspiring director. Director of his own life. Get it right. Gosh, I'm so sorry. You're, Matt, you're, for a, him to, you're to, a home director. <laughs> no, no, no. I am. Um, I really think it would depend on what you're trying to get out of each scene. Um, I loved. So this this came to mind. We were talking about this um, in in the chat in our little our text chain. 
before I watched Zodiac. So I was paying attention to it and I kept telling myself each one of these scenes took more than 15, more than 20, probably 30, 40, 50 takes, you know, to get this. And I love when organic things happen in manufactured spaces. So what I mean is a movie and what you see through the lens is all on purpose. But there are some things that can't be they can't be done perfectly without like very shitty uh, CGI. So if you're not following, I'll give you a great example. In Zodiac, when uh, kind of towards the second third of the movie, uh, don't start doing math, but it's kind of in the middle, but not not really towards the end. I'm trying to figure uh, out it's two and a half hours in or three and a half hours in. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. I didn't clock it, so I can't tell you. But um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is waiting outside of the police station for Mark Ruffalo and the other cops to come out after having interviewed the, the low, the other local um, police station that's investigating the Zodiac killer. And mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo hits um, Robert Downey Jr.'s um, notepad out of his hand at such an angle that it falls off screen and then rolls kind of, kind of like, like chatters over to just at the bottom of the frame. And then the scene goes on for another 15 seconds before you get a cut. So if you had to do that 30 times and hit that notebook in just a way that it rolls over to that, that's absolutely magnificent because I was like, Oh, is he going to, you know, is he going to remember it's there? And then as the car pulls away, he goes over and acknowledges it and picks it up and then lets the taxi go by or whatever. But you can't manufacture that. You could use bad CGI, which I would argue Fight Club maybe used bad CGI a couple times. But that was also 10 years before he made this movie. So like he, he gets a pass um, to me with this. And and I just, I absolutely, um, he would get a pass. I mean, um, but I don't know which I would pick as an actor. I can tell you which one I would pick, but um, if you got the performances out of the actors that Fincher gets out of these people, yeah. I think you could make the case that this is a very efficient, effective way of, of telling your story. Yeah. And mm. I, and I think about Zodiac too, that um, towards the end of the movie, when Jake Gyllenhaal's character is finally piecing everything together. And if something like that, like him running up to Mark Ruffalo's house and like, banging on the doors and the windows and like looking so panicked mm. and, and then them going to the diner after that and him t- trying to explain everything that he's learned and he he knows yeah like you could i feel like you could see and you do see in a lot of movies a situation like that that that's manufactured where you're like okay that this was definitely on the script um they're, they're following line by line and you know the script says okay we're going to react this way or, or we're going to play off of each other this way or whatever and if Jake Gyllenhaal does that 25 times by the 26th time he's probably just fired up and just like spitting this stuff out. Like, mm. like it's actually happening. Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo is responding like it's actually happening because they've been doing it so many times. Uh, and then, and then another one I think of is any, uh, you know, meeting room scenes in the social network of like, if we're running those back to back to back and like Jesse Eisenberg is just making really snarky remarks to, to our hammers, then, they're going to the people are going to get you know a little riled up and mm-hmm. i feel like that's the goal one thing though like to to think about though because no because this is one of my favorite movies um <laughs> does allow for uh like what what's it called um prompt like yeah. a little improvisation yeah um i think of fight club 
because you know it's one of my favorites i'm gonna <laughs> think about it every time um there's a scene where like uh, uh brad pitt punches uh edward norton in the ear okay wait is this in the beginning towards the beginning of the movie very, like towards the very beginning of the movie sorry yeah. i've only seen this one time First yeah. um he yeah he punches him in the ear which was not planned like that was oh. not part of the movie oh. it was just like he impro- like he just punched him in the ear or no i reversed for norton punched brad pitt. brad pitt i don't know why yeah you better hope that's right people are gonna come for nope, you no i know that's <laughs> right um because brad pitt's like you punched me in the ear and then he then goes on to fight him um so that was never planned he like that was never a part of like the script it was just kind of there and then it became a thing so i know that he allowed it it just probably very very few very yeah few of those very few times mm. and you're not um, recreate that once it happens right sure. you captured that really organic moment i just rewatched fight club last night mm. and i know we're gonna dive into it i really want to dive into it with you austin because yeah i was expecting it to be so much more douchey you know because 17 year old us is very impressionable right like we're mm. We love that shit. Oh my God! You know you can make napalm out of gasoline and orange juice concentrate. Ooh, anarchist cookbook. We're just, you know, we're these young like little moldable minds or whatever that just think Brad Pitt is so cool and the movie's like edgy. And then I watched it again. Fuck yeah. man, that movie is so good. I will apologize for that movie to anybody who hates it. It is done so well, just top to bottom. And like you said, you get these little touches. And I think Edward Norton and Brad Pitt really and uh, Helena Bonham Carter, just yep. they fucking make that movie. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I agree. It's a great movie. Yeah. I I mean I should probably probably watch it again. Yep, you should. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be on one of my lists. So speaking of movies, talking about some of his. Yeah, movies. let's start talking about some of his movies. Uh, because uh, I know I know you want to talk about Fight Club. Um, Eventually. I so. Know. We're gonna talk about our. Do do you want to say what your favorite? Do you want to talk about what your favorite Fincher movie is right now? That way we you you know you get the space to talk about it. Uh, you guys should begin first. <laughs> I think it's very clear. No, I'd like our guests to go first. Matt, can you <laughs> tell us what your favorite Fincher movie is and and, and a little why? I don't know. So this is this was tough for me. Um, I am a fan of his collective works. Uh, so I love feeling. Um, holistic about all the differences. I mean, my God, seven couldn't be any more different than Benjamin Button, right? So, um, sure. the same universe. Universe. I'm not seeing the difference. <laughs> universe. No, I think actually, I think Benjamin Button. We know where they are in Louisiana or somewhere in the South. I think we know the town. In in uh, Girl you, with the Dragon Tattoo, we know where they're at as well. I mean, so, you, you did mention though, like you can go from one one area to the desert i mean yeah louisiana i mean uh, can be a big city that you can go to the desert fairly fairly fast i would presume i don't know i'm not i'm not louisiana i would presume <laughs> yeah you can i mean not exactly you can get to houston from louisiana pretty easily so there's like a, there's a chunk of his life that you don't see so i mean so, i haven't seen this movie yet Okay. All right. We'll be careful. Um, no, no, no. Go ahead and spoil it. Grows, Absolutely. No, no. He okay. grows backwards. We're talking. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. Are you serious? <laughs> what? Um. No. Okay. Uh. Ethan, your question. My favorite David Fincher movie, and this is only because of the rewatches I've just taken on, is the You're girl. Really with the dragon tattoo. 
Yeah, Matt, I'm I'm just I'm jacked to the tits right now for what you're about to say because you keep prefacing it. I'm I'm getting like more and more hyped. <laughs> no, so it's it's the girl with the dragon tattoo. Awesome. It is. Awesome. It was very hard for me to do this because Fight Club, like I hinted at, is a tremendous movie and mean meant so much to younger me, um, and holds up after the rewatch. Um, Seven is. I will say very arguably his masterpiece. I think it's early in his career considering a lot of the stuff that he's done, but just as a movie, I, I don't know that you can make it better than that. But to me, I was so sold on the European setting, the snow, the old family as characters, just, and then this ominous sense of like money can hide anything. Um, Plus you get your, you know, you get your hackers. I get my, I don't want to say grotesque because I think Rumi is absolutely just amazing in that. She looks transformed in that, but she is very, her face is very striking with the piercings and the hair. And I mean, the uh, eyebrows, the eyebrows completely. It's, it is a very stark contrast to the clean cut family to Skarsgård who looks every bit old money um, when we finally do get him kind of in the second half of the, uh, of the movie. I just, I didn't want it to end. And I don't find that with movies that are narrative. So movies that are driven by script, I'm usually like, okay, wrap it the fuck up. And this movie just, I wanted it to keep going. And then in my mind I said, Oh, thank God there's two more. Well, the one that came after the English one that came after was a completely different production crew made seven years later and was awful. Um, Mm -hmm or five years later, whatever it was, and, and just absolutely flopped. So I had to tie the bow on that. But, man, I just – the sense of foreboding through the whole thing, that he was going to find it, right? We know he's going to figure out the secret. Um, actually, that's – now that I think about it, that's a pretty good trope too, right? How much of this – how much of his films are trying to get to the bottom of something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to solve something that we as an audience know he is capable – or they're capable of solving. Yeah, like I said, Mark is the reveal, the great reveal, the big reveal. Mm-hmm. And my God, oh, that scene in the the murder basement in the girl with the dragon tattoo, when Daniel oh, Craig has a neck brace on and he's chained up and it's bright white and everything is spotless and it's like, oh, he's dead, he's fucked. This is this is. Oh yeah, he's like, yo, this guy's toast. I was like, there's no way he's getting out of this. This mm. is this is the end. Like, cool, he's gonna off him and then like he'll be another another victim and you know just continues well i love the line that skarsgård says he goes funny i've never had a man in here before and it's like Ugh. it just oh it makes it just makes you shiver yeah it's so off-putting yep so it sounds like to me your top it sounds like top three uh you got the uh the girl with the dragon tattoo is your number one yep your number two is fight club seven seven, seven <laughs> okay you were hoping. You were reaching. <laughs> You're like, did I hear that correctly? Uh, you said it second, so you know I just assumed. Um, so seven, and then for they sound like third is Fight Club. Uh, third is a toss up right now. I had never seen Gone Girl, and so, so, so your third, your third is Fight Club. <laughs> third is a toss up between Fight Club. I man, I really liked the game too, but. <laughs> 
I, I, I didn't rank them. Listen, we got the top two. I really liked Mank too. I know we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, just from a completely, how is this David Fincher <laughs> sort of, sort of take at first. Uh, but yeah, Fight Club is, dude, Fight Club is so good. And I'm going to get quoted as saying that. And I feel bad because there's such a zeitgeist around that movie because of what it did to people who were our age when it came out. But mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you that with my more adult viewing lens, that movie fucks. <laughs> quote, this is the, this the quote not? of the episode. That movie fucks. <laughs> All right, you already know what your, your first one is. Man, you know, I'm so predictable. I'm going to change it up. I mean, Matt, do you want to stay it for him? What, do you, would, do what you would make him feel less comfortable? Like, would we just make him writhe in the booth if I said that his favorite David Fincher film is The Social Network? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll take it. I mean, that, 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 that I'm not going to argue. It's, it is what it is. So, also okay, out, really of the, out of my mouth, you know. It's Social Network. That's my, that's my all-time favorite. I do stand by the fact that I think Social Network is one of one of the greatest films of the last decade of okay. movies. That's fair. I, I don't want to like go crazy and like get into it. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I, I guess I feel very similar to the way you felt about Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Matt. Where like I I can sit there and I can watch two and a half hours of Social Network and I can <clears throat> literally say like I don't want this movie to end. Like I'm totally happy if it goes on for another two hours. I have no problems with that, and it's done just I don't know creepily well. Mm. It's, it's just too much. He has plenty of th- resources now, or to make Social Network too. Yeah, he does, and I'm I'm pretty sure that there was a rumor of him that he was gonna make another another like Social Network type movie, and it so like it, on MySpace, like Tom. <laughs> but it was gonna be about something else, not not MySpace. I can't remember what it was gonna be about, but. I don't know. I just feel like I just feel like the social network to me is a, I guess it's just like really that type of movie that I I really enjoy. It's just so dialogue heavy, but the dialogue is so piercing. Like every time somebody says something, it it it, it means more than it means or like more than it is and it attacks somebody or it like progressively like changes what we're what we're watching. Mm. Uh and then you know what? Honestly, my second is duh, not Fight Club. I, I figure as much for you <laughs> since you've only seen it one time. <laughs> I've this only, guy. I've seen the Social Network a good handful of times. I've only seen everything else once, I think. <laughs> but uh, it's it's I uh, it's got to be a toss up between Gone Girl and and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I really liked Dragon Tattoo more than I thought I would. So mm-hmm. I watched it two nights ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember diving into it like I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, OK, like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch it because we're going to talk about it. Well, right? yeah, you well, you texted us. You're like, hey, should I watch <laughs> yeah. these three movies? And it was Benjamin Button, um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and then Alien 3. Yeah. And you you suggested Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And that, that's definitely the right. I feel like the correct choice out of those three. Yeah. Agreed. I think just engine button as well. I just like I yeah. just left off <laughs> Alien Three. Not on the list. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I yeah like that girl with the dragon tattoo is. I feel like it covers a lot, and I really like the storytelling aspect of it. So we get Daniel Craig's character, and we are understanding his background and what he's striving for, mm. and then we get Rooney Mora's character and her background, and 
they don't come together until like an hour plus into the movie. Yeah. And we're really just getting two separate identities that are finally going to cross over and like just wreak havoc and, and get this solved, which, and you know, is super, super cool. Uh, Matt, you mentioned Mank real quick before we get to yours, Austin. Uh, Are you hinting hinting that Austin's favorite David Fincher movie isn't Mank? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to put, I don't want to put words into his mouth. I, I don't know, but during this conversation, it's possible that Mank overtook some other options. Anything's possible. <laughs> so you you mentioned you like Mank. Um, I watched Mank this past week. I was quite indifferent to it. Now, you also watched Mank, Austin. I did, yeah. What camp do you fall into here? I did not enjoy it. Awesome. We have one of each. Wonderful. <laughs> so Gary Oldman is fantastic, I think. I, he, he's lovely. I got so distracted by this movie. I just didn't. The only thing I cared about was there's this scene where they talked about um, Don Quixote, yeah. and I was like, oh, maybe I'll walk, like maybe I'll read the book, <laughs> and that's about it. It just for me, it it was it's kind of in the same vein as a Malcolm and Marie, where it's such a meta conversation about old cinema and old film, and it's such a passion project about that. It just I flew over my head. A lot of it flew over my head. Do you know why it's a passion project? For David Fincher? Yeah. No, I don't. Okay. Explain to me. Now, let me explain it to you so then you understand why it's a passion project. Okay. So, his father was a screenwriter. Uh-huh. He most notably known for The Aviator, which starred uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. Um, Scorsese flick. Yeah. Okay. This movie was written by his father. His oh, yes. Father's... This screenplay for Mank was written by his father. Yes. I knew this. His father's dead. Okay. Drop the bomb on me there. I think that this is a passion project because it was his father's thing Mm -hmm. and that never got made. And he was just so passionate about making sure that his father's work was done. Right. And Matt, you mentioned it's very like Unfincher-esque, right? It's it's like you wouldn't lob this into the same camp as like, oh, that's definitely a David Fincher movie. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense. It certainly isn't a gross and like dripping wet intro. Um, with nine inch nails playing in the background and dead bodies or what shapes that look like dead bodies. It, there definitely wasn't that. Yeah, I, I, did not know, I did not know that piece of information you just shared. Um, mm. And you mean the person who wrote the film, the aviator, not the person who the film, the aviator is written about. Correct. Yep. The, the writer of the aviator, he, like I think they changed parts of the the script, but the main sure. script is based off of David Fincher's father's work. Yeah, I definitely heard that somewhere. So thanks for mm-hmm. bringing it back. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it makes you think, look at it differently. Absolutely, it does. To me though, it didn't. It wasn't more appealing to me. It was like, okay, cool, you're just doing something because like, mm-hmm. like it was your dad. You're probably really close with your dad. I get that. But I yeah. can't say it's not done well. Like it, it's definitely done well. And I think, again, I think Gary Oldman was great. Like I think his performance is, well, but I think the, I, I'm, I'm going to say it on this show. I feel like I'm going to get kicked out of here, but I've never seen Citizen Kane. So like, I feel like that's a big strike against me because I haven't seen Citizen Kane. So I don't really understand don't know the source material. Yes. Like I yeah. don't really understand what we're dealing with here. Plus we're talking about like, a non-credited screenwriter for Citizen Kane, which is like... No, he was credited. Well, 
you know, yeah. what originally was not going to be credited. Mm. So I feel like we're kind of like a step removed even from Citizen Kane. So I just feel like, like I said, like old cinema is just like not my thing. Mm-hmm. I just feel like left out of that conversation. Yeah. But I know Matt, you're you're way more into that than I am. Yeah, I, something, <laughs> something that I constantly think about with these movies. So like, Best Picture winner, The Artist. Do you remember that a couple years yeah. back? Did you see that movie? I did not know. I don't know very many people that have. Okay, so I have <laughs> because of course I have. All right, I know one. It is not fun to watch. It, it, we are so used to creature comforts of setting shots and like created universes in front. We're basically being spoon-fed, spoon-fed information in the movies that we watch. Mm. And Fincher thrives because he can spoon-feed us little bits at a time, enough to keep us coming back, with maybe dropping some hints kind of throughout a little bit bigger morsel before, as we said, the big reveal. Mm. Movies like The Artist and Mank and Ethan, I'm sorry. I'm going to go in on La La Land for just a second. Don't you dare. Get the hell out of this. Out, out of my show. They, they thrive on Hollywood for Hollywood's sake. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And it's an homage to a time. And as long as the Academy is old and white, they're going to eat that shit up. Now, was La La Land a good movie? Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed that film. Is Mank a good movie? Objectively, maybe. But now with more information come to light, did I enjoy it? It's frantic. I felt like the first 20 minutes of that film took an hour off of my life. Not Uncut Gems style, but it's just bam, bam, bam. And it's very much an homage to that style of film. Right. Noir, but like similar to that style. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... um, I said frantic already, but it's frenetic. It's like there's this energy building and then it pops and we have a story and then the story is leading us. And Gary Oldman is so fucking likable. I absolutely adore him as an actor. And, and I thought he did a tremendous job. The writing isn't that great. No offense to Fincher senior Finch person, senior. <laughs> we speak no ill of the dead here at final take, but, um, yeah. yeah, I can absolutely see why it wouldn't hold your attention or not even that, but why you wouldn't come out of it feeling like, wow, fuck yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah. It felt like penance that needed to be paid because I love films. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and and I guess for me, I don't relate to that kind of stuff of like, you know, I love old films, so I'm just going to make a movie about old films. Like, oh, okay, that just, I don't know, just doesn't jive with me. I, I mean, I think, well, so, I mean, the reason why this script is written, so if we look at, his work or like uh, his father's work is, is based off of people that he knew kind of growing up. Okay. So you look at Howard Hughes, who is the aviator, like the, the guy, like the his, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's writing movies about these iconic characters or people within their space. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you look at Mink, like I, I did a little research on on who he was as a person. He was known as one of the funniest people in Hollywood at the time. Like, I mean, obviously, Citizen Kane is known as one of the, the greatest movies to have ever been filmed. Yeah. So, like, and to even take, like, that even further back, I mean, you look at the people, like, he was looking at the person, and that's why he wrote it. And so I think for him, like, David Fincher to, to direct it um, was just really trying to show 
that side of Hollywood. Um, because that's what his father probably instilled upon him growing up. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Austin, I need your favorite. Okay. And then I also need your second favorite. Okay. Because we all we 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 said our second favorites on here. Yeah. No. I mean, um, so Fight Club is obviously my favorite. (laughs) Obviously, number one. (laughs) Um, it's in my top five. I've talked about it before. I think it's just. I mean, I've watched it multiple times. It's just one of those movies to me. I can rewatch it so much so many times is one of the very few movies that i've actually read the book that is based off of (laughs) so i know the source material and i i mean i i've said i think i said this on air um i wish that the ending from the book was the ending of the movie but it's not um so what's the difference so they go to basically he shoots himself in in the in the head right yeah um, instead of the buildings exploding around him, yeah. he wakes up in a hospital. Um, okay. And so he's in a hospital, like they're helping him and stuff like that. And lo and behold, who happens to be sitting uh, across from him? Really? Brad nice. Pitt. Narrator? Love it. <laughs> yep. Okay. So he's still like, it basically is like, no matter what, you can't get, can't get like, away. You can't get rid of me. Oh, that's so much better. God. Right? What? <sighs> Okay, so speaking of endings, yeah, Matt, you were not super enamored with the ending of Gone Girl. Is this correct? That is totally correct. Okay, I want to know, I want to know why, but also, have you written a fan fiction piece in which you you think is actually the ending to Gone Girl? Because I've done this with a few movies where I'm like, ah, I don't like that, and I'm just gonna create my own ending in my own head. Um, well, I can certainly fantasize about what I thought the end of that movie should be. And I, before I dive into Gone Girl, I want to talk about, I just want to, I just want to touch on this. We, again, we're talking about uh, Fincher requiring upwards of, you know, 40 takes or whatever per scene. Was that a stunt penis at the end of Gone Girl or is that Ben Affleck's penis? Cause there's a quick shot when he's getting into the shower where you can see a penis. Full schlang, huh? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I just, I was not paying that closely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's like, seriously, it's one frame, but I was like, huh. intriguing. You reminds should me now that we yeah. see this reminds me of fight club. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's one. That's a good question. I mean, you gotta, you gotta research, man. He wants authenticity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, would assume, yeah, I would assume he's going with the real deal here. So, uh, yeah. So you didn't like it. I didn't feel any closure for Ben Affleck's character whatsoever. Not saying there wasn't an answer. This is mostly writing based, um, which the film was written by the author of the book, which I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't understand how she comes back and then they talk in the shower and he's trapped and then Stockholm syndrome. And then he, they stay together. Like sure. I, I really thought he should have left her I, for his character's arc to be, the the goat and not the greatest of all time but like the goat um throughout the predominance of that movie and then at the end she reappears and is somehow not questioned by the police after slitting neil patrick harris's throat like spoilers (laughs) is that movie like i feel like that's implied when i say like oh you didn't like the ending of this movie let's talk about it (laughs) yeah i guess i should have probably probably warned about that but I think her character gets away with too much that you wouldn't in real life. Um, and I didn't, I couldn't 
I couldn't come up with a reason why Ben Affleck's character would stay. So when the when the credits started to roll, I was like, wait, what? That's not the movie's tremendous. I was at the edge of my seat the whole fucking time. And Neil Patrick Harris was wonderful. I love him as sort of this creepy stalker, rich ex-boyfriend character. I thought he killed it, but that man's a fantastic talent. Where he died. He, he, uh, he died for it. Uh, yeah, I think I was kind of left in the same boat, so I watched it, and I had kind of told you guys my ending that I had hoped for, but it's in a very similar vein of how how do they have one conversation and then he's back to being screwed, like back to being under her thumb so quickly. And they go from kind of having their conversation in the closet and then going on an interview and saying like, Oh, like a life is great and all things are great. And I thought that was going to be, and, and I'm thinking in this <laughs> lens here of like, okay, we're like, this is it. We're like two minutes away from the ending. Like what else are we going to get? What else is going to be this big reveal? What's going to be a big twist here. And it just felt like the perfect opportunity for them to go to an interview and then him to just say on national TV with cameras, with audio, with a crew, with people around in presumably a safe space and say like, my life fucking sucks. And like, I, I'm, I'm being held against my will and she's a murderer, blah, 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 blah. Like it felt like the perfect situation for his character to oust. And then we get cut to black and we know he at least, at least for him, he came clean. He feels release. I, I, th- I feel like you guys are forgetting the very beginning of the film when you look at the ending of this of Gone Girl. Tell me. Tell me what I'm forgetting. The very beginning of the film is literally the ending of the movie. Right. It's the same scene, right? Yeah. He's. Oh, like, my that, God. So he's been doing it over and over again? Is that what you're telling me? No. Like he, they, that's the whole point is like we, we were revealed the answer at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. We were shown the ending at the very before beginning. the movie even began. Yeah, God, same as it ever was. God, fucking mm. David Fincher, this guy. So, I thoroughly enjoy this film. Now, I had the, I already knew this, like the, all the surprises before it, I even watched the film because like it got ruined for me because it's one of like the top twenty like plot twists ever. Um, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. rightfully so. Um, and so like it kind of got ruined for me and that's one reason why I didn't really want to watch it. But then watching it, I was like, this is a freaking good film. Yeah. Like how so, great is Tyler Perry? Yes. Oh yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like, I'm glad you did something other than your own movies for once. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's a murderer off. It's a, uh, it's a great movie. Yeah. It really is an, an incredible movie. And I, and I believe it's Fincher's highest rated like highest graded movie that he's come out with. So I, I mean, I don't know how much you guys know about the true crime, like world of the like, people love yeah. true crime. They just love <sighs> just it. Right. Live on that stuff. So thinking off the top of that, does this movie or plot sound like any true real life crime? Not that I know of. But I also don't involve my life in true crime stuff. I try to keep within my personal bubble, and I don't commit crimes. Uh, <laughs> now, what about you? What do you do? You know much about this, or do you, does anything pop in your mind? So, no, not about Gone Girl specifically. The the book I've read the book that inspired um, the Mindhunter series. It's called Mindhunter. Yeah. Um, and so that I have like a, an understanding of, but that's a different time period. Although still David Fincher. Okay. Um, so I, I'm 
blanking on this first name, but Peterson. Um, oh, why am I blanking on it right now? I had it just in my head. Um, Jason Peterson? No. Uh, there's a real life murder, like our uh, missing case of a woman that just disappears. Um, uh, and Drew Peterson. Drew Peterson. Not Drew Peterson. Incorrect. <laughs> um, now I'm gonna Google. Uh, yeah, you can't spread Peterson. misinformation on this show, by the way. Scott, it's Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So Scott Peterson is like the inspiration to the to the book is because his wife disappeared. Um, no one knows what has happened to her and all oh this stuff. God. And like they make the media makes him seem like he's this douchebag that killed his wife, but no one can find the body and all this stuff. Um, so like this is real life. Um, wow. But she never comes back. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. that's what the main difference is like it's playing on the perspective that maybe like her, the wife actually like faked a murder. Um, but that, I think that's why it did so well is because in the news, I mean, when based did, on something real, yeah, I mean, that people were like already familiarized with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeesh. It's yeah. a good movie. I, David Fincher just has that ability to take something, a novel or a real life event, and make it totally intricate and digestible and incredibly detailed mm. all at the same time. And what was your number two David Fincher movie? I was going to say seven. That's That seems accurate. That seems like a classic, classic Austin move. You know, I Brad Pitt. <laughs> just, uh, Brad 90, Pitt. I give you 90s Brad Pitt. There's something different about that guy. Just, you know, really good. Just magic. <laughs> I uh, really oh. like, just to touch on Seven really quick, I love Morgan Freeman as sort of this grizzled old cop. Uh-huh. He plays, or not even plays, but just throughout his career, he's embodied this very fatherly figure to things. Um, and he's not. He is a grungy old cop, and he's got a little switchblade, and he throws it against the wall or into at the, the dartboard, and he curses, and it just... Anyway, it, it felt very unique for him, and I, I absolutely adored it. Last thing before we get out of here. Yep. I have one more topic that okay. I want to talk about. So I have a list. There's there's actually an article out there, um, but it, it's set up in the form of a list of David Fincher almosts. So these are movies that David Fincher almost directed or was shortlisted for or um, in that circumstance. We're going to be talking about Star Wars right now. Possible. Okay. It's it's possible. So just, just mentally get prepared. Get in this space. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the list okay. of David Fincher almosts, and I want you to tell me which one you would have chosen for David Fincher to direct. Okay. So like go all the way. Okay. So this, this list, um, there's Spider Man, the 2002 mm. Spider Man, World War Z two, uh, Catch Me If You Can, Batman Begins, Columbine, Steve Jobs. Speaking of Mac, Michael Fassbender, uh, Mission Impossible. Or Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> Mission, Mission Impossible 3. The Girl Who Played With Fire, which, you know, un- unfortunately did not pan out because I believe The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was kind of a box office, not a bomb, but like it did not succeed at the box office. Pretty mixed reviews, yeah. Yeah, thus further implications for, for a sequel, obviously, mm. make it difficult. Um, Cleopatra. Heavy Metal, or Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So these are the 11 David Fincher almosts, mm-hmm. and I want you to pick one okay. that, that, that you would have wanted Fincher to 
follow through and too direct and that you think the world would be a significantly better place if Fincher had directed. Okay, I have one. Guys, it's quick. Matt, Matt, do you have one? Uh, can you just clarify really quick? Is Star, um, not Star Wars, is uh, Spider-Man 2 from 2002, is that the, um, to- the Tobey Maguire upside-down kiss one? Wait. Uh, no, just the original Spider-Man. Yeah, so that would be the that upside-down, yeah. Yeah, the, the upside-down kiss is in the original Spider-Man, which came out in 2002. Okay. It's... Reminds me of Tropic Thunder, where it's like... <laughs> MTV Movie Award winner for Best Kiss. Yeah. Anyway, forgive me, Father, for I've sent. That's a. Hey, that's a so uh, funny studio pet project where Ben Stiller did a bunch of shitty movies before he could make that. But anyway, I'm totally derailing here. I'm I'm gonna just say yeah, the the sequel to the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is the girl who played with fire. Mm-hmm. I, I I probably still had an hour left before I looked to see if we were gonna get a second one of those. Um, just checking IMDb really quick and. That movie, while I will not watch the one that did get made um, because there's no need, I really was invested in Daniel Craig and um, uh, his name is Mikhail and her name is Lizbeth Sander. Yeah. Salander, Slander. I was very much invested in their character arcs and was very sad when they uh, split up there at the end. I won't spoil what that was for anybody that wants to watch it, but uh, you basically know the whole movie except for the one last little fuck you that pops in in the last minute. But anyway, I, I would definitely pick that for him. Just know that last the whole entire series. So that's well, that's sad. Yeah. Did you? You're talking books. Yeah. Well, I would have loved to see him direct the girl who played with fire. That's not my answer, but I don't what, want to say, I want take the same answer. I no, wanna, no, no, no. No, I want to know your answer. No, 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 you go ahead. You've already decided. Uh, I haven't decided yet. I'm scrolling through this list again so I can choose. Catch me if you can. Okay. I think it's kind of like right up his alley where he'd pull up a lot of twists and turns and just kind of whatnots. Um, so I think that the big reveal he could do with that movie. I look at the other ones. I mean, I don't know Cleopatra. I mean, that never even got film made, so I don't even know yeah. where that would have came from. Um Star Wars, that would be cool. I mean, that'd be cool to see him do a reveal in a in a Star Wars film. Um, I think that it's because it's Disney. I don't think that he could be able to get away with the darkness that he liked to portray in humans. Right. Um, so, um, just <laughs> yeah, we're not alone. Um, so yeah, I would I'd have to say gone or uh, catch me if you can. Yeah. I mean, if, if totally Leo's valid. still attached to it, too, and, like, Tom Hanks, like, that'd be cool, too. Yeah, everything's same. You just get David Fincher to, to direct. Mm-hmm. Instead of Steven Spielberg, which is really tough for me to let you do, Austin. <laughs> I, I know. I, yeah, that's I'm, a bold I, play. I know it's a bold play, but you got to do bold plays to win. <laughs> what I would say, then, is take one of those movies that you thought was shitty and then pick that, because Catch Me If You Can is fantastic. Yeah. Like, let's leave it. It exists in a good space, and why don't you fix one of these other shitty ones that, <laughs> that we have to deal with? Take Rise of Skywalker, for Christ's sake. I'm, I'm, I'm looking just at his ability to do the reveals, and that is a movie that has a lot of reveals. Do you concur? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen Catch Me If You Can. Oh, you guys, that's a line from the movie. He's he learns to be a doctor. Leo learns to be a doctor by watching procedurals, like 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 soaps. 
soap mm. opera. And one of the doctors constantly says, do you concur? And he walks into the room and he's like, do you concur? And the guy's like, do I concur with what? And he's like, tell me, sir, do you concur? It's a very famous scene <laughs> in that movie. It, it's <laughs> an amazing movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> do you like that? Uh, look, I know you want me to pick Rise of Skywalker. I know you think that I'm going to pick that. That movie is no, that's not a what bummer. I... Uh, yeah, I think Fincher could do Rise of Skywalker the way that he would want to, or even care to do it. Um, so I would naturally, I would maybe pick. I don't have any. I don't have any ill feelings against Batman Begins, but I feel like that would be a cool pick if we could see Fincher take Batman and do a dark gritty crime caper that would be cool like kind of kind of seven ish but with batman i just don't want I think that's fun i just want the christopher nolan movies to be left alone <laughs> you're happy with what they are there are fantastic so just leave them alone can we agree Look, though that batman begins is the worst of the three yeah absolutely uh, I if mean, it was dark, if it was like the Dark Knight or anything, no, off the table. But it's Batman Begins. Dark Knight. I was gonna say Dark Knight Rises to me can go like they be, begins back like those go back and forth for me. Really, and Batman yeah. Begins. Yeah. Well, that's what I would have picked. Uh, if and then second choice would have been the girl who played with fire because I was really not happy with that ending Agreed. that we got in the girl with the dragon tattoo, and I was like literally like looking at my you know. TV and I was like, what, 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 what is happening? What is going to happen more? <sighs> so frustrating. Uh, okay, any final Fincher thoughts before we dip out of here? Um, anything you feel like you you need to get off your chest that you were not able to? Either of you? Fight Club is the best movie that David <laughs> Fincher has ever made. <laughs> Ethan, you need to rewatch it. That's what I'll say. I was very surprised at how good that movie is and how well it holds up. And I stand by my previous statement. Fight Club fucks. <laughs> that's the, that's going on the uh, that's going on the Instagram post. Uh, yeah, I mean spoiler spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> I do. I, I think David Fincher is is phenomenal. Uh, and you know, I think he's incredibly unique in the way he does things, and he wins awards for a reason. Mm-hmm. He's nominated for awards for a reason. He's given these really intense um, storylines for a reason because mm-hmm. he can. He can manage and he can make them like nobody else could even attempt to make them. Yeah. I think it's a very Fincher thing. I'm just really surprised we didn't talk about social network as much. Listen, I knew my, I know my bounds and I, and I, and I know we're going to have a social network episode. Uh, so Matt, you can come on for that. And uh, I'd love to have our own social yeah, network. I can't tell if Austin's cringing in his chair right now or not. No, I, I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> yeah. I think we're, yeah. I think we all love social network. Yeah. I just, so it has been a hot minute since I've seen it. I'm not talking about like a year plus, but you know, it's been like maybe six months. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm going to talk about the social network, a movie I'm passionate about, I gotta, I gotta be fresh. So I gotta, I gotta feel fresh, but also I just like, you know, I feel like sometimes I get too hyped up and I don't, I can't dive in mm-hmm. appropriately. Okay. So table that. Well, we'll put a pin in that for next, for next time. <laughs> that was our final take, but you can always send us your final take through social media. We are at final take pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, subscribe and listen on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to leave us a review on Apple podcasts as well. Make sure it's five stars or Matt will come and, and find you. And I, I will. I, analytically, I will find you. <laughs> you can do it. Uh, 
Next week on the show, we've got another guest joining us, actually, uh, Ben Lawhorn from Three Guys in a Podcast, um, mm-hmm. another wonderful podcast out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a little hint, hint, we're going to be on their upcoming show as well. Uh, so check them out, Three Guys in a Podcast. He is joining us for a, what is it, Austin? A marvelous conversation. <laughs> I know you wanted me to do that. I'm, I'm just glad that you take my advice sometimes. <laughs> a marvelous conversation. We're talking about our favorite MCU movie, plus what we're excited for in the future of the MCU. Mm-hmm. It'll be a very good conversation. Um, thank you for listening, Matt, Scott. Thank you for being on the show. We greatly appreciate it. And, it's always uh, fun. I had a blast. I mean, I, I feel like I could be talking about David Fincher for another hour. I, I truly think we could. I and I would be welcome to it. Okay, there you go. David Fincher, part two. <laughs> part part two. Incoming <laughs> at some point in the future. Matt, um, are you on social media? Do you want people to find you on social media? Do you have anything to plug before you get out of here? What? Uh, nothing. Be nice to each other and wear a mask. I love it. Yep. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask. Agreed. Go watch some movies. Uh, you know, and if you're looking for a banger, make sure it's a Fincher film. Yep. Finch man, right? Oh, oh they're highly available on a lot of the streaming sites. So yeah. I'm just going to put that out there now. Like, go watch them. Like, yeah. They're pretty much all, yeah. pretty much any of his movies are, are readily available on a streaming site. Uh, most of his movies are on on a streaming site. I there yeah, go. I'm not gonna say all of them because that could be wrong. <laughs> Full well, circle. Well, Fight Club isn't, so get ready to pay three dollars. <laughs> yeah, I have the DVD. You had to get, had to get one <laughs> final Fight Club jab in there before we, before we end the show. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, be safe. Wear a mask. Go watch some movies, and we will see you back here next week. Bye. See ya. Ciao.